It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. No snappy introduction today because we got a, got a lot of stuff to talk about. So Nate Bauer joining us on the BWI Daily Edition. What we are talking about is we're going to be talking about his article over at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com today. Seniors and kind of the process and the untangling of the electrical cords that the roster management turned into this offseason with COVID eligibility and all of that stuff. So first off, Nate, awesome article. Everyone go read it at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. But... Let's talk about some of the things about it. How are you doing today? I'm great. Let's not get carried away. All right. Just uh, <laughs> a little rundown. How are you doing? Uh, I'm still my uh, unprofessional as I was this weekend. My voice seems to be going the wrong way instead of getting better. So other than that, I'm great. Uh, but just a little bit annoyed that I still sound like I was out at the bar till 2 a.m. last night. <laughs> and it was like you, three hours on Saturday, did- Sunday. Where did you watch the games? In my apartment with my wife and cats. No one else. That's it. Do you do you yell at the television when things are happening? I ran into the kitchen screaming on the last Bills touchdown. So, yeah. I, I go like, listen, I really like football. I know I sit here every sure. day yeah. and I talk about football in a very serious way, but like I love football. I am a fan of the, you know, my NFL team. So I still, I still go a little nuts when there's, especially in a big game. It was entertaining. It was, yeah. I mean, my wife said, oh my goodness. Like she was even surprised. I I just, at the the entertainment factor. So I I can't imagine. Yeah. I, I, I sound a little bit like we're going to go to the casino this weekend. That's the really the only thing. Yeah. We're going to go play slots. And we're going to get some margaritas. So other than that, my normally smooth peanut butter tones are a little bit rough, mm. which well, I don't you know like. What? 1% better every day. We'll see on Monday next week. Back 100%. Well, the, the thing, not to, not to drag this part of the show out, but I've gotten away with it this year where I've pushed a little bit and maybe I've been a little rough on Monday morning. This is the first time I've really had to pay for it where I sound bad on Tuesday. Uh, but... Other than that, let's worth talk it. about <laughs> Yeah, worth it. It was awesome. It was a great game. That's why I'm a, emotionally okay at this point. So l- enough about that because I think people are going to get annoyed by that. But Penn State football, there's a lot of things that had to happen over the last month when it comes yep. to roster management, which normally yep. these conversations happen anyway with guys that are registered juniors and seniors and guys that maybe are considering going to the NFL but there were so many more layers to it. And that's kind of what your article was talking about. Give us some of what you found when you dug into the the seniors and the guys who had extra eligibility above the norm. Yeah, it's just it was just a lot of players. I mean, that's the that's kind of the bottom line is you had 20 players by my count who were either 50 or seniors, right? Who had played 4 years 
with a red shirt and had the the decision whether or not to come back for a sixth year. You had seniors, pure seniors, right? Also who had played four years and had to decide whether or not to come back for a fifth year. And on its face, that's all well and good, right? Those those are things that are unique to this circumstance. But there's also walk-ons and, and run-ons yeah. at, at Penn State who have the same decisions to make. People who have played four and or five years who now have that extra year versus the, I think my count was six players who were flat out already taking advantage of the extra year and there was no decision to make. Yeah. So no, I mean, it was just, it's just, I, I think that for every year, right. You, you see the scholarship breakdown and it is somewhere between like 10 and 15 seniors total. And they just, that's it. They, yeah. <laughs> they hit the wall and their careers are over in college and they move on. And so to have that, many that much of your roster that you have to figure out whether or not you whether or not it makes sense for them to come back whether it makes sense for you to want them back mm-hmm. right and then and then figure out all those details that's just it's a lot yeah and, and it's something that you have to consider at the same time that you're signing a new class in the class of 2022 and yep. the transfer portal on top of that with players that are leaving your program and trying to find the guys that you want to bring into your program. So there's there's a bunch of those things going on, uh, and, and it's a natural question. I think it's a pretty easy question to answer, but a natural question is, did that affect Penn State's portal decisions or their portal movement early in the offseason in that December time when it was a big opportunity or there was, there was, there was a time frame there where you could add guys to start in January when they only have one at this point? I tend to think that Penn State is so deliberate and wants to be so deliberate with who they choose to bring into the program, whether it's um, whether it's recruits or whether it's transfers, that the timeline there didn't, it just didn't really make sense to have a flood of incoming transfers. Now, granted, you're even talking about after the 2020 season bringing in what five, five, five players through the transfer portal six yeah. um, of which the majority came in that first week in January before the start of the spring semester. Um, you know, so I, I don't think that that is necessarily going to be a significant part of, I mean, we'll see, right. Whether it's, whether it becomes a significant part of the program moving forward or not, but uh, no, I don't, I, I think that, figuring out what PJ Mustafer is going to do, right? Yeah. Uh, what Jesse Lucetta is going to do, um, you know, uh, what Jair Brown is going to do. All, all of those different pieces that kind of had to settle themselves. Sean Clifford, right? If Sean Clifford decides not to come back, if that pitch that Penn State makes to him to be a 60-year guy, if he rejects that and decides that he wants to go on and, and, and play in the NFL right now, I think that totally changes the conversation of what they're looking for and oh for the, sure yeah. right and this but the speed of how they're looking for it as well right and so it, him coming back just takes that off the table where now you don't really have to worry about picking up um, you know that fourth scholarship quarterback and a fourth scholarship quarterback that has experience mm-hmm. yeah 
somebody who you've seen play football at some level of football, more than one game against Rutgers in, in late November. Uh, yeah. How long, this is the other thing that I think is, is interesting, is that this isn't over. How much longer oh, wow. is this process going to take when you have all of these extra layers of decisions for players after the season? Yeah, so I, I think I think what it's two things. One, it's it's over for this cycle at least, right? Yeah. Is that there has been a resolution for all of those players who had decisions to make. So that at least that is put to bed. But for the duration of this 2020 exemption, this bonus year, you know, you're talking about at least the next not at least for the next 3 years. Yeah. So there are three more cycles that we'll have to figure that out as to whether or not these players who, you know, they may have redshirted in 2020, which means it didn't even exist, right? Yeah. Like, like the 2020 season, and, and that's for everybody, obviously, but for a redshirt in particular, it's, it's like, okay, well, that year didn't count. You really enrolled in 2021 and now you have five years to play four. Yeah. So that, that, uh, you know, think about that. That's, uh, into the 2026 season. I don't like to think that far ahead in the future. I usually get to the weekend that that's as far as ahead as I get, which gets me into trouble quite a bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I haven't, uh, the, the, the next part of this that I think is worth bringing up are the players coming back. Because you yeah. mentioned PJ Must for Sean Clifford, um, there are not a lot of guys that actually chose to come back and use that eligibility. From what I can tell, yeah. as, as far as players that were starters or players that had playing experience deciding to come back and use that, it, yes, most of this is the writings on the wall about a lot of guys, right? Yeah, I, th I think so. I think uh, certainly more than not, right? I mean, yeah, uh, look, there there are things that we're not gonna we're not going to know in terms of who had the option to come back. Right. Like there weren't a lot uh, of borderline guys, right. That, that contributed and played and then decided to come back the, on the so. other side. You saw, uh, uh, I guess the most notable one was Jesse Lucetta deciding to go to the NFL right. instead of coming right. back. Right. Right. There were, I, so my count was among the NFL guys too. And mm -hmm. then, among the fifth-year guys or the seniors who had played four years, six who mm -hmm. who did decide to come back, two of whom are walk-on slash maybe scholarship. Crystal, as a, a long snapper, was on scholarship this past year. Yeah. Penn State doesn't divulge whether or not a player is on scholarship or not. Um, and so that can – right? You can be on scholarship one year and not have that for the next year. Right. So – Crystal and Barney Moore are the two guys on special teams who we'll, we'll see whether or not they occupy scholarships moving forward. But the the other four who we know are scholarships are Sean Clifford, John Sutherland, uh, Tig Brown, and PJ Mustafer. And yeah. then the two, the two who probably had the option to come back and chose to go to the NFL were Ellis Brooks, right, who would have been using a sixth year as a yeah. linebacker, and Jesse Lucetta, who would have been using a fifth year uh, as a linebacker slash defensive end. Yep, and th those are 
conversations we've already had about those guys. We haven't really talked a lot about the guys returning in that sense. Uh, before we get to some of the guys returning, one other note from this week is that Jake Spencer has joined the program as a walk-on or as a run-on. So I did a little digging, Nate. I did some I did some journalism. I don't, actually, I don't know if this is journalism. Do you have to talk to people to do journalism? No, not necessarily, but oh. go on. Okay, so Jake Spencer is from Colgate. Here is some of his photo from his 2019 season. Uh, he is roughly 5'10", 185 pounds. I think he's listed at 5'11 on the Colgate site. He formerly was talking to Penn State. He visited Penn State a couple of times. Uh, also interesting, he's a receiver, by the way, played lacrosse in high school. So if I'm building a profile of what is this guy going to be as a walk-on, special teams is obviously the first place you start. And then you look at his skills here, and you know that he played lacrosse. I think kick and punt returner are a part of the conversation, but then it comes to the size and speed aspect of that, of whether or not you're going to have uh, that guy be a punt returner. But also gunner on special teams. Somebody brought this up on our message board, bluewhiteillustrated.com. Sign up for just $1. Get access to the Lions Den message board so we can have these conversations you and me, meaning mm -hmm. you, the listener, uh, that both Drew Hartlob and A.J. Litton are out of the program. So that's an obvious need for Penn State. And I don't know that you're valuing scholarship. I, I don't really know how to place the value on that, but a guy that they clearly saw a development from when they were recruiting him in high school, coming to Penn State and, and being a contributor as a run-on with value enough to target at this point in the development process they want to get him here and have him uh you know be a part of whatever part i think he i'm not sure when he can enroll but having him on the team is something that they targeted as another previous relationship that they had with the player right now he's he's the the, the thing that stood out to me and i'm actually going to have an opportunity to talk to him here um later is real journalism how, real well let's not get carried away he was over the moon excited about yeah. the announcement. <laughs> like, I mean, you're talking about a guy who, who uh, I'm not sure that he had any offers. He had even any real looks right at this level who enrolled at Colgate had spent two years there. And now he comes, he took a visit to Penn state this past weekend and gets this opportunity to, to walk on. And, you know, I mean, he, he, I reached out to him on Monday night and, you know, was back to me within minutes, right? Yeah. Of like, yeah, I'd love to talk. I, I would he was, love to have this conversation. He was retweeting everybody's retweet uh, about yes. him joining Penn State. So he's very happy about that. Yes. So not, but look, like, I don't want to project too far down the road, but people who have an approach like that tend to fit in well at Penn State, yeah. right? In terms of what James Franklin and the culture that he's trying to build of guys who it it does not matter if you ask them to empty the Gatorade bucket after practice. They are all in, <laughs> thrilled for the opportunity. Yeah. Right. I mean the word that the word that Franklin talks about all the time is appreciative. And if anybody threw out the opening signals of a person who is appreciative of the opportunity, it's this kid for sure. Yeah. So it'll be interesting, interesting to see what he says to you. And again, check that out. BlueWhiteIllustrated.com for just $1. Sign up for 12 months of access so you get the inside scoop on guys 
in the middle of January that announced they're going to run on a Penn State and provide uh, a lot of depth support, and we'll see what else going on in the future. A guy who's provided a lot on special teams is Jonathan Sutherland. Guy we've talked about uh, quite a bit over this time at Penn State and now is going to linebacker. So Mm -hmm. that's what I wrote about today is the Sam linebacker position because that's another thing everyone's very concerned about that is Penn State fan following the program is who's going to line up where and how many do they have that can play. So I took a look at, you know, like a couple weeks ago, what is the positional need? What are the skills necessary to each position? Giving you an outline of that. So I started at Sam Linebacker today because we had some conversations about Jonathan Sutherland after the bowl game that he's going to play linebacker. Yep. So this is it. I think I may have to revise my statement and my position on Jonathan Sutherland that I've had so far this season. Been a little bit You're negative moving? about it. You're moving? You're, the needle has moved? So it's, yes, a little bit. So the, it, it's about understanding the Sam linebacker position, but really the positional need that that place fills. What you're trying to do with that player is find somebody who can bridge the gap between the 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 uh, three-by-one receiver sets where you've got three receivers and bubble screens, right? The perimeter run game. Somebody who can play the perimeter run game and also be big enough and strong enough to play in the traditional run game and fill a gap in there. Somebody who has enough mobility and coverage skills to basically cover the entire long side of the football field when the alignment hits that way. And it doesn't have to be a linebacker. I guess my problem is if we start designating guys that aren't linebackers linebackers, there's going to be a misconception about their abilities. And that was kind of what I rejected initially of the idea of, of Jonathan Sutherland moving to linebacker. If we're saying that now that guy is going to be more of a slot safety, then okay, yeah, like that's, that's fine. Because if you check out how Sutherland played, and I know he did fill in the Sam linebacker position twice this year due to injury or opt-out, um, it is kind of where he played anyway. So that box safety, these these snaps look like a Sam linebacker anyway. Most of his time is spent around the perimeter of the box, either on the tackle or just outside, either in the slot, and very rarely was he ever deep. So this is kind of what he was doing anyway. It's just making the move official. And then I'm assuming gaining weight this offseason to play more underneath coverage, play more physically, and get up to a bigger size. 201 is too small to play that style of football. That was immediately my concern hearing that. Is that what 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 what's right? Sorry to cut you off, but like yeah. what's the what is the number? What does he need to gain? 15, 20 pounds? Like where do you see that as being a necessity? So I've been I've been trying to get that information specifically of what's a reasonable number. Because what Penn State has done recently is they've had a linebacker around 230 pounds. Even uh, going back to uh, uh, Cam Brown, who was 6'5", 230. So that guy has to be mobile and athletic, and he has to be able to play the run. 
Now, Curtis Jacobs, same thing. He's about 230 pounds. Brandon Smith started at that position with great speed at a bigger size, 6'3", 6'4". He was 235, 245 pounds, somewhere in there. So it's not if it's going to be a linebacker, 230 seems to be the number. And that means he's got to gain 30 pounds this offseason. That's impossible. Not of actual lean muscle mass. That There's not enough time for him to reshape his body. He's also 5'11" listed on the roster. So there's not enough room on his frame to get to 230. So are we talking 215, 220? Because then we're talking about a box safety. That's reasonable. That's just, but that's not a linebacker, really. That's the difference in my mind. Is even the guy for Arkansas who was a little shorter, he was a really thick kid, 5'11", 231 pounds. Like he technically got there on a smaller frame, but Sutherland is an elite level athlete from what you've uh, dug up this preseason as far as his metrics and testing. So he's strong and he's fast, but I don't know he has the mass to play true Sam linebacker. That would be the thing that I would say is, is kind of the, the difference in parsing of opinion there. Can, can he just be a box safety? Like, is that, <laughs> I mean, does, yeah. does it, you know, does the, does the terminology, matter all that much if he does what Penn State right like it seems to me as though there are really not as though it's just limited to him there are plenty of players on Penn State's defense who have their own deal right who they are used situationally and have a role that they can fulfill um you know uh, Cole Farmer is the guy that we always uh, tend to bring up but like they they have a specific purpose and yeah. can fulfill that. Like what what for instance, if John Sutherland is going to be that style of player, what are the instances in which he might best fulfill that role? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So that's a great question, and this is really the crux of my 11th defender theory, is it doesn't really matter what you call the position, it's the result you're trying to get. Some teams, and the guy that always comes to mind is the kid from Clemson that went to Arizona uh, as the best version of this guy, um, forgetting his name, but anyway... For Clemson and Brent Venables, he played deep safety sometimes, and then he would be up on the line of scrimmage playing in the box. And he was like at linebacker, slot corner, that guy that can play and just kind of fill the gaps because your box linebackers are primarily in run defense, the ones that are, are responsible for the most important gaps. Then you're either Sam linebacker or your safety or some other hybrid player 
is they're kind of on the perimeter. They have a gap. They need to be in it. They can't lose their gap, but they also have other responsibilities, run or pass. And it's the ability to do that. And that, I guess, is my question about Jonathan Sutherland is he's a good, tough safety. But is he going to be big enough that he can fill the B gap on a regular basis where he's going to have to take on a guard at some point and play that way? Now, Brisker did that a lot at the end of the season when P.J. Mustafer went out and they were trying to, through numbers, stop the run. He played a lot near the line of scrimmage. He was doing that, and even he struggled at times because... 200 pounds, like it, the, the physics of it don't work unless you're just unnatural. Like if you have a, a, a muscle density that doesn't make sense. So Sutherland has to find a way to win in those situations. And I don't know that he's had a lot of time to play in the box. Like he just hasn't had all of those skills developed. So if he's going to be on the perimeter and playing in coverage and you're going to basically a 5-2 and that's going to be what you do and Jamari Budden is filling in and out as an actual linebacker, now we're having a conversation about what's realistic. Right. Budden is taking those run snaps. Sutherland is in there on, you know, kind of splitting reps as a veteran player. And then Daquan Hardy comes on the field in coverage situations to cover the slot in man or in more advanced zone coverages. So it's, it's going to be more of a, an amalgamation than one guy filling that role. I just don't see Sutherland being a guy filling that Sam linebacker role. And you're, and you're saying that it, it wouldn't be specifically a third down passing type scenario that would, he would fit best into no. that role. Like he no. could. Okay. So that's what Daquan Hardy did. Like Daquan Hardy didn't come on the field in obvious run situations or even run situations where it was, it was either or. Penn State has wanted to play three linebackers and that third linebacker being a really good coverage player so they can stay sound against the run and the bubble screen and have a physical player out there. That's what Curtis Jacobs did pretty well, especially in in run defense last year. It's hard to play that position as a linebacker in coverage. You're going to give up snaps. You're going to give up receptions. But Sutherland... The, the whole reason we're talking about him as a linebacker is because his coverage skills are not to that level of a safety or a slot corner. Right. So he's just, he's always been in no man's land. So now as a sixth year player, he's coming in and playing linebacker and he's got to get up to the size and have those run instincts. And it, he struggled in the bowl game to, to kind of execute those underneath zones and to have the feel for it. So he's got a lot of things to do mentally and physically, but if he's in there as like the starter and Jamari Budden is mixing in until he's confident and and is you know not just a redshirt freshman in there, I think that's a reasonable, workable solution. But when you tell me one of the guys who is in the lead to start at that Sam linebacker position, how it's used, and it's a safety, I, I don't see that working. But it has to be a different situation. What what would be for like? Listen, let's bring some optimism to the Penn State fans who are looking for it. Here. I thought I just did. What are the? <laughs> what is the? What is the op? Like if 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 all things were equal, what is the best case scenario for him him excelling to whatever his ceiling might be? Um, I struggle with hybrid players like this. Because if he were a little bigger, then I would say he could do it. You know, if he was two inches taller, he was 210 pounds already, I would say, okay, you've got a big safety. 
he can be that sort of new age linebacker. Um, the best case scenario is that he is he was cutting weight this whole time, that he was trying really hard to be 200 pounds, and really he's more of a 210 sort of football player. And he has more physicality the closer he gets to the line of scrimmage. There's a little bit of a Lamont Wade in this conversation, but in a safety-level package. So he's a big hitter, and he's physical. He can blitz from the slot. He provides some of those splash negative plays. I think that's really what he's going to be. He needs to be as an attacking football player that is aggressive and beats blocks with speed and gets negative plays, not playing the the position in a traditional sense. That and he just absolutely wrecks every screen that goes out into the flat. Like they're all negative plays to the point that you don't even try it anymore. That is kind of the I think the best fit for him. And then you work in other guys for other skills and other uh, things that you want to do at that position. And I do think that's workable. I think that's much more workable than what I was imagining at first when I heard that news. Did, did you see did you see any elements of that in the Outback Bowl? I mean, it, it was so hesitant. Like, it was so new to him. Even in the Rutgers yeah. game, it's all so new. You can't play with instincts when everything you're thinking. You've got to just go hit. And I, uh, that's going to be the biggest thing is in spring, does he take to it quickly? And that, to me, is going to signal whether or not he's going to be able to be that true hybrid that's a real benefit to the team. Does, so, it, does it become pro- – like, I mean, do, <laughs> is there a scenario that you could envision where it's aborted? Where Oh, know, yeah. Hey, hey, it's just – okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That, that's where I started. Like, that's where I started, and, like, I'm trying to be more optimistic. So I'm like, okay, yeah. I see what we're talking about here. I kind of see what we're trying to do here. Uh, they would also have to – just change their scheme, truly, in a lot of ways, from what I've seen, at least, from what Brent Pry liked to do with the linebackers and and use more safeties to fill in in the run game, and he's really just playing over in space. So, no. you know, that then they would have to find... But then I don't know if he's that coverage player. So, right. yeah, I, I can see the a lot of ways this doesn't work, and then we quietly stop talking about it, and that would be would, kind of how that would go. I would be very interested to know what input, if any, Manny Diaz had on those conversations in the first place with Sutherland, because it certainly yeah. sounded like the way that James Franklin talked about him coming back. Um, and I, I think I actually put this, the quote into the story was that it was a, Hey, this is your future. This yeah. is what you're going to have to do, right? Because you're not a safety at, at the next level. If, if the NFL is in your future, this is you're going to have to be closer to the ball. You're going to have to to get used to this, and so that is the reason for you to come back and play a sixth year, and that Sutherland acknowledged and accepted that. Yeah, right. Like that, that's yeah. that that was the whole purpose of it. But right, the timeline of it is these conversations from the way James Franklin laid it out during the season was that these conversations started to happen during the bye week. So uh, week mm-hmm. six and, and so, right. It, it'll, it's just kind of interesting to think of, okay, well, if this was the plan for him moving forward, dating back to October, yeah, how does a change in defensive coordinator in December shift what Penn state wants to do with him, yeah. whether or not that's a fit for him coming back? I. Manny Diaz, from what I've seen, and, and again, I, I should admit that when it comes to studying Miami's scheme, I don't know that it's necessarily prudent. 
because I think he's going to come in and he's going to run a version of Penn State's defense, which is kind of what he said already of it, you know, that it's going right. it, they were similar and like it's not that big of a difference to adopt what you are coming into with your own flair, right? As far as maybe you change some things, some things up in blitz packages, but you're not changing things wholesale. He did start using more three safety packages at Miami this past season where they had, and again, they had the talent to do it. They had depth at that position about getting good players on the football field. They had a guy like Sutherland who was big and physical, but that guy was like six, two and a half, like six, three, and it was a five-star safety. So it was about finding a way to get that guy on the field in third down packages. So I don't, that's what I don't know is if they're going to pivot to more of a true three safety look and that slot position, which has been a Sam, is now something different. Right. But I would imagine James Franklin wants to stay in line with what they've been doing previously because Jamari Budden's a really good football player, and I think that's the answer at the position. But that gets into a different conversation about then you would have possibly two freshmen at linebacker if Kobe King is then the Mike. Mm. I don't know that that's you a good future. You don't either. like that? You don't like that? Just that much inexperience. Like, if I'm a coach, I'm thinking as I'm a coach, I've got two freshmen out there who at any point can make freshman mistakes. And they're linebackers at a position where it's easy to make mistakes. It is common for linebackers to veteran linebackers to make mistakes. So it would take uncommon football players, especially at Mike, who you want setting your defense to be able to do all of those things. That just seems like a lot. That's why the linebacker, to me, it depends on who you want at that Mike position, who you want at the at the Sam position. But I don't think it can be that combination of those two young players unless they prove without a shadow of a doubt that they are both able to handle it. And that would be best case scenario, but also best case scenario is if everyone added a zero onto their paycheck every week, right? Sure. So. <laughs> no, why not? Well, listen, uh, you know, as is always the case, these are things that I would anticipate we're going to start to see some resolution on in the next eight weeks, right? Yep. I mean, you know, once once you get into March and spring practice takes place, then you can start to find out whether, and I think that they would know fairly early, right? I mean, they're, yep. they're going to be able to figure out what combinations work and who's in a position to play and play well right away even even understanding all of the, the development that will take place over the summer and leading into preseason practice they'll have an idea yeah they'll have an idea by the end of march and by the way this is something that I, you know i'm painting it in one certain light but it's a it's a good idea to experiment and to think about these things and to try to think outside the box when it comes to players and positions and like that's where innovation comes from. And I think a lot of times if a if an experiment doesn't go right, we tend to think it was a bad idea. And that's yep. not the case. Like it's a good idea. It's the best use of your resources, but it might also not work out. Like sometimes things just don't work out. And that might be the case here. Uh, when it comes to I want to move on because I want to talk about basketball. I promised we get to basketball on the live show yesterday and we didn't. Because we were talking about everything else. so They Penn, want it. The Penn fans State, demand it. Absolutely. Well, they were the, the big show in town there at the beginning of the month, going 2-2 two and two in Big Ten play. Um, yep. Then they missed a game because of COVID again. Then they lost, I think, two now, right? They've lost two in a row. So they lost a game, had a game canceled, right. and then lost a second game. So yes. where do we stand right now after the loss to Iowa? Yeah, so I think that the 
really, and this is, um, it may sound like a misdirect, but losing the Minnesota game was incredibly damaging yeah. for, for this team and its trajectory because at Ohio State, you lose in a competitive game. You're playing without your best player. Okay. Um, you, you don't feel too bad. Like you, you can leave that game feeling fairly good about things, especially going into a Minnesota game uh, and a Minnesota program that is shaky and would have played that game had they not canceled it with a short bench themselves and with a short roster, right? Um, mm. So that that would have presented to Penn State an opportunity to get a game at home and offset a loss with a home win. And yep. now instead, it just disappears and you're playing on the road at Iowa, which is notoriously difficult. Penn State has yep. like two wins at Iowa over the last 20 years. So it, it is not a place that Penn State has very many wins, has very much success. And that followed through on Saturday. They just, it wasn't a good game. Yeah. It was not a good game. And the thing that they came out of it saying, or that Micah Shrewsbury said in the post game was, the effort wasn't necessarily there defensively. It was okay, mm -hmm. but Iowa got hot and Penn state just turned the ball over way too much. Um, and this is a team know, that at, can't do that, right? Like they have to play good in both phases and not turn the ball over to be in these games. They're playing an uphill battle to start. They are playing at a pace that demands valuing possession. Right. Because you don't they don't have that many. They're not going to create turnovers. They're not even trying to turn people over. They are trying to play solid, secure, half court defense and then value rebounds. And what I think disappointed Shrewsbury the most was they were letting miss shots on offense impact the effort that they gave on miss shots of Iowa's that turned into offensive rebounds for Iowa. And so uh, Iowa was scoring on second chances that had not existed in the first half to the point that Penn state had a 12 rebound advantage in the first half that evaporated in the second. <laughs> like uh, it is, it is very rare for a team to have that type of like a, a plus 12 in rebounding in one half never happens. And so to get beat by more than that, to, to be a, a minus 14 in the second half was, I, I think, very disappointing for them. So where how was Seth Lundy in his game back after his absence uh, earlier this year? And when it comes to the scoring, you know, how do you get a consistent effort in that area, which does seem to be the issue of of getting and finding points on a on a on a game by game basis? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I have to go back and look it up because it was that unremarkable. Jalen Pickett was the only one who really did much of anything. John Hara, who who has, I, don't, I can't remember exactly what the number was, but it was something like 55 straight games uh, where he had scored points, like he hadn't been held scoreless. And he, he went, he blanked on, on Saturday. So Lundy had eight points on three of 11 shooting. That's not that doesn't get it done. Yeah. He, he needs, he, he needs to be for Penn state to have success and to win, not just to be competitive, but to win games. They need him to have between 12 and 16 and eight points. Doesn't, doesn't do that. And that's something Michael Shrewsbury 
you wrote an article about this of not content with being competitive, and I understand that most head coaches are going to say that. Yeah. Is that a is that a belief of his? Like, do you truly believe he wants to win all of these games and he doesn't he realizes that this is the development year? Or is you know, or is this I guess which way is that going? Is that is that coach speak or is he really buying into the idea that we're competitive in all these games, we're gonna win these games? Yeah, I, th- I think he understands that it all matters toward development and mm-hmm. to, to what the future is. Uh, so if you're if your mindset right now with a bunch of seniors or bonus year guys who are all really in their final year of of college basketball, if the attitude for those guys is, well, we were competitive and we gave it our best shot and we lost because this is the first year of the Micah Shrewsbury era, era and that's okay. Like that's not where you want to start. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it's just not because it, it filters through it. It creates a mindset for, for everyone. And so I think, I think that he realizes that they are trying and have been successful in trying to maximize the talent that they have. Mm-hmm. This is a style of play that will that will keep them in games. They're they're not going to get run off the floor. This was the most uncompetitive game that they've had since the very beginning of the season in the loss to, to Iowa, and they've lost uh, seven games, eight games now, mm-hmm. right? So like that, if, if if you've only had a couple of blowout losses, you're in most of these games. But being in most of these games is not the outcome like it's an outcome oriented game yeah you you want to have a win at the end of the effort and penn state has demonstrated so far that they can do that they can play in these games and they can win games but as shrewsbury brought up on monday they can't score points right now they're just they're not scoring and if if it doesn't matter how good your defensive effort is and it has been good it has been a very very good defensive effort they are bad offensively right like they have started to fall um in terms of the like the national rankings for statistics of what they're scoring their scoring offense right now is 304th nationally mm-hmm. at, at 65 points a game and you know that's uh it's not gonna cut it it's not gonna yeah. get it done and it's even worse it's even worse like that's 65 points it's 62 against big 10 competition <laughs> so they they are nearly uh they are 18 points worse than the top of the Big Ten for scoring average. Yeah, that's not going to get it done. Uh, so what's the next game? What's the next opponent? They have Indiana at Indiana. And again, this is going back to the damage of the Minnesota game is now they've got three on a, three in a row on the road, mm-hmm. which is just it's really tough. And then they have Iowa back at the Bryce Jordan Center next Monday, um, you know, which uh Iowa has its holes and has some problems and and you know they're not at the top of the Big 10 but that's still a tough game. Yeah. So so you the there are very few opportunities to um relax isn't the right word but to 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 see games as like hey look got to do it can get a can get a win here. Yeah. And that went away. <laughs> That, that that was lost from the schedule with that Minnesota game. So now they've got at Indiana, Iowa, at Wisconsin, who's always tough. Yep. Michigan is tough. And then 
their next, uh, you know, I'm not going to call it a winnable game, but the next one that you would circle is at Minnesota and that's February 12th. So yeah. it, it is, it is tough sledding right now for them. And they've got to try to find a way to, to even things out and kind of get back on that winning track. Well, no matter how it goes down, you're going to be covering it and you can check that out at bluewhiteillustrated.com, which I'll say for the third time, sign up for just a dollar. Link is in the description of this video. It's the first link. You click on it. You give your dollar. You get 12 months of access in return. You get inside information. You get the scoop. You get it, You get news. You get interesting articles. And, of course, information before anybody else on the Lion's Den message board. So all that for just a dollar, including Nate's thoughts and feelings. You get both all of All my those. feelings. Yeah, <laughs> all of it. That'll do today for the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks to Nate for stopping by. We'll be back tomorrow. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk to you then. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.